If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. When I was here in the late 60s, my dad ran Inglenook. I worked at Inglenook as a kid. Uh, I was 19 years old, I think. You know, there was Charles Krug, Louis Martini, Inglenook, Beaulieu, Berenger, Joseph Phelps was, uh, had just started, Heights, uh, Stony Hill had been started in the, in the mid-50s or late-50s, and that was it. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 534. This week we feature Pam Starr, owner and founding winemaker of Crocker and Starr, Napa Valley. Hanging out with winemaker Pam Starr is great fun as well as a great interview. I learn from her and I laugh with her. Pam's winemaking smarts and leadership have made Crocker and Star one of Napa Valley's leading small producers. Cabernet Franc, Sauvignon Blanc, and Bubbles are among the many wines that make the tasting room a must visit. Listen to Pam on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term Greek. There is nothing more fun than being in a room with my friend, Pam Starr. Pam, how are you? I am so good since I'm sitting across the table from you. Oh, you're very sweet. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it wasn't all that long ago we last talked to you, but um, anytime I get the opportunity, I will. Because you're a fascinating person and you're a fun person. And those are two of the best things you can do when it comes to the interview. So thanks for being here today. It's so good to be with you. Thank and you. it was it seems like a, a million years ago, but as you no. pointed out, it, it wasn't. But a lot has happened in six months or eight months or how long? Well, however long. Our brains have been stretched and, and our, our abilities have been stretched since COVID and how we seem to adjust to things and time is getting funnier. I don't know. And it's winter. Life is getting funnier, actually. Not just time, but life. Yeah. yeah. I'm slapping my knee at every opportunity. <laughs> as long as it's your own knee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't want any trouble at all. Oh, God. It's good to be here. Good to talk about Crocker and Star. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. But just before we start, you have a new winemaker, and her name is Julie Robertson. And I'm going to interview her tomorrow, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, I'm excited. You're going to love her. Yeah. She's an incredible person. You're going to learn that she doesn't come from science and math, but she comes from math, uh, geometry, colors, and shapes. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting. What we talked about, criteria, when it comes to hiring a winemaker, there's got to be so many different levels of finding the person that's going to do the gig for you. How do you go about that? Well, it... That's a great question. Here I am. I'm science and math. I'm a winemaker. I'm not only just a winemaker. I designed wines from the ground up. Um, I also started a business. I wrote a business plan. Uh, I was the marketing uh, in the early days. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm an example of true entrepreneurship. You know, Charlie Crocker, my business partner, was incredibly supportive, but uh, he was busy doing his own entrepreneurial things uh, in the business world, and I, I'm grateful that we had great trust in each other, though we didn't know each other very well, and 
what that trust did was formulate a sort of a, a, a spine of all of the topics or, or asset aspects or assets one winemaker should have and how to climb up that spine to get to the neck and eventually the head, uh, there, there are certain aspects or assets uh, uh, or talents uh, that maybe aren't going to be there for somebody who's gonna be like myself. And in review of my talents as a winemaker, uh, you have to be terrific at sensory. Your vocabulary can be trained, so it's not necessarily that you have the same vocabulary, but you have to be able as a winemaker to describe a wine like the winemaker sitting next to you. Same glass, descriptions have to parallel. Uh, you can have arguments about which word is more correct, that's okay, but critical assessment of a glass of wine is a is an important asset that a winemaker needs to have. Um, I, I think math and science is critical. How much math and science? Maybe not so much, but uh, if you know how to run a logistics program and a, and a purchasing program, along with uh, um, how many grapes are coming in and doing the math and being able to check on uh, vessels. And, and that's easy to suss out in an interview. Uh, What's your curiosity? How many questions do you ask? What's your smile factor? Mm. By what's interesting to you? Are you happy? Hard, hard, hard to find in an interview. Most people are very happy in an inter interview. They're not going to show you their inner demons and, and things that um, maybe will uh, frustrate them to a point of frozenness. So how to suss out whether a person freezes in the face of, of adversity? Uh, winemakers are always challenged with adversity, weather, people, uh, logistics. There's certainly a lot of challenges and you just can't lose your sense of, of humility, your sense of adventure, uh, sense of curiosity and the belief that you can achieve. And maybe humor in there too, I'd say. Super humor, you have to laugh at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at yourself. You have to laugh at the end of the day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, I hesitate, of course, like any normal human being, to ask a person anything related to age or anything, but how many vintages do you have behind you? I think it's 40. Wow. Uh, right. Four decades. And I looked a lot back to the 80s when I was just a puppy in the business. I use puppy because we're going to get two puppies here soon, <laughs> my husband and I. Uh, but really being a young person and having a sense of adventure and being a young person and not worrying about being told no, uh, I even though people told me no all the time, I still didn't believe that no was the answer. Uh, how much fortitude I had as a young person was crazy. Um, and looking back on what I was willing to do uh, in those first 10 years of, of the wine adventure, I'm looking for people like that or have a little bit. It's very difficult to find in um, the younger generations because people have cell phones and there's technology and the super highway internet and 
you don't have to scratch out anything for yourself, but when the lights go off and the power goes off, how do you build a fire? Mm. How do you hold a temperature? Um, how do you calculate? And if your sense of adventure is willing to go back to antiquated systems like what we used in the eighties, uh, then you're in, you've, you've got a big step into being a great winemaker. Keeping a pencil around instead of a pen. Pencils are great. They are. I like them too. I love pencils. Yeah. And erasers are even better. Oh my gosh. The number twos with a that yeah. pink eraser, favorite. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones. <laughs> so when you were coming up, there had to be a lot of sacrifice um, to be able to do this work and try and have some degree of a life. I don't know. I mean, my sense of adventure was so good. I'm, I'm really happy I didn't choose to take the dental admissions test, first of all. Second of all, my dad was on me like every year for mm. 15 years, like, get a real job. Please get a real job. I'm like, Dad, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's real. So uh, he used to follow me around during harvest just to sort of figure out what was going on. Really? But, yeah. When oh. I was at Spotswood, um, I think Dad followed me around three vintages in a row, and he became, oh, there's Pops. He'd lean his chair against the, the wall of a tank and take a little snooze while we were working. That's great. What a story. It was really cute. Yeah. Very cute. And, uh, yeah, I think being in this business is, is life expanding, not just because you can travel to other countries, but it's life expanding if you know how to correct an issue. If, the, you can, if you're ahead of the microbiological world, what's going on in a liquid that you can't see. If you can use your nose and your eyes and you can use your numbers uh, for doing, say for instance, bricks and temp, you can assess where that beverage is going and you have to, you have to pull it out of yourself. Mm -hmm. There's a hopefulness. Oh, I hope it won't go awry. Mm. Okay, realism comes in. How realistic are you? You need to be a realist, right? That's really the most interesting thing you've said. Well, it's all interesting. Let me rephrase that. That's <laughs> the only Ray. thing you've said. I think said. I'm more interesting than that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to insult my guests at every opportunity. I, being a realist, it's hard because people can't always accept that because generally, I can't say you're talking about honesty all the time, but you're talking truth. Truth. And you have What's to, really happening, right? right? Is it, I, my dad taught me that, really. Dad used to take us, my older sister and I around on rounds in the hospital. Uh, we were we could have been more than like seven, eight years old, and dad walked fast. Dad walked this fast. We had to run to keep up with dad, so I learned my speed factor. I learned timing. I, I, was, I was given a clock, internal clock. What time is it? What's the sun like? What's the day like? Where, you know, how much time do we have to play at the end of the day? Like, well, sunlight's burning. I want to get my bike ride in, right? So, you know, I, you live by the clock. And dad would take us through the patient. Well, the patient's breathing, so we're alive and we're good. Doesn't look like there's an infection. The, the limb is not, you know, pussy or gross. And, you know, we were like, oh, gee, dad, okay, that's a little bit TMI, but oh, for people my age, that's too much information. You know, the anachronisms, <laughs> I'm still learning. Uh, but I, I feel like if I've, I've been teaching, um, about fermentations and getting to the next level to dryness, to getting them barrel wine and safe zone, which is resting the elevation period. That's the safe zone. You still have to keep a watch. So I just take people through the steps. I'm like, what are the stats? Let's do the reality check. What were the numbers yesterday? Do we have progress? 
that's realism. And the reality is uh, the, the reality takes you to your, your direction. You can make all kinds of decisions if you know what's real. That's good. That's a very good answer. Your involvement hands-on with Crocker and Star these days, uh, obviously you've melded into the owner that has got all kinds of different things going on. How often are you spending time at the winery? How often are you going over these books, notes, whatever it might be, or even going into the cellar and, you know, sticking a, uh, a thief in there and seeing what's going on? Well, joyously, Ray, uh, I have a lot more me time and a lot more flexible time. And I'm choosing my me and flexible time. Well, during the last five years, uh, my husband and I have been building a house and I've discovered and have expressed a new attribute and talent uh, within. And that is um, I can do space and color and lighting design of uh, inside of a home and finishes. So I've been practicing and I've had a lot of time to do it. Uh, I, having Julie Robertson at the helm now uh, as our second winemaker, she, her introduction was this crazy 2022 vintage. So I uh, ran logistics, I was behind the scenes and I have to tell you, I got pretty strong. I haven't worked that hard in years, yeah. uh, but she was at the helm and my role was supportive consulting, teaching, and I didn't have to worry too much about the sales and marketing because Cyrus Hazard is our executive vice president. He's doing a phenomenal job. As a matter of fact, he's running a better program than I could have ever done. That means you've done a good job. Uh, thank you. I would, I would like to say that I, I set a good groundwork yeah. and I have really good framework and hard rules on how to run a business. Uh, there are certain things that should never go away note-taking, quick responses, follow-up in writing. Uh, the communication part is very casual in a younger generation, and the more formalized you have, the stronger contract you have. It, you know, so verbal just gets in writing. Yeah. And when people have contracts and they know, and each party knows uh, what the responsibilities are of that contract, it makes doing business so much more fun. So much more fun. Wine making, wine sales, grape growing, tourism, hospitality. When guests come, we tell them exactly what they're going to do, even though they probably already know. Sure. Right? Welcome. You know, we're going to you know, have a little sip of bubbles here. We're going to take a, a jaunt to the vineyard, touch the vines, sn a snip it into the winery to say hi to Julie, and then we're going to sit down for his tastings of the estate red. People love to know what they're going to do. Fun, very much fun. Right. I'm, I'm curious for your uh, past vintages. I'm sure you, you, you said the word notes, and I'm sure you've kept plenty of notes. I'm just curious if you still have a lot of that history, whether it's all up here, I'm pointing to my head, or whether that's all in notebooks, or, or you know, do you keep that stuff for posterity? How do you go about that? Boy, if you it's do, such a hard question for me because I do keep notes. But if anybody could read my handwriting, it would be <laughs> a miracle. Uh, I, I didn't know that people aren't reading and writing cursive, and I've been writing in shorthand and cursive forever. Uh, so a lot of uh, the library is in my head, and um, right now I'm trying to pass that off in story form the best I can. Uh, I think wine bottles are uh, the lock and load of history. So we can open up any bottle of wine. We can look up what the vintage growing season was. 
Uh, but the story is in the glass still. Um, I just opened a, a 1998 Cabernet Franc for you, our third vintage ever. And this was when the vineyard was being recrafted and balanced to be organically farmed and rebalanced so that the grapes set their own uh, crop load in a really balanced and delicious fashion. 98 wasn't an easy vintage, but it's really an honor to share this wine with you because it's alive. It has a pulse. There's juiciness to it. It expresses the vintage. And though you could look up my notes if you wanted to, the glass is a better storyteller. Right. Oh, I, that's a really good point. That's a very good way to put it. Um, as an aside, it, it's funny to think about this idea of writing things down, all that. I, I got a new car recently. The shifter has a button I push forward, automatic, you know, one. And my girlfriend got a new Roadmaster, and hers is the dial. And I'm thinking back to the rental car I have, which has a traditional shift. Will younger people know what the traditional shift does? I'm yes. not sure. I'm not, not even with tractors. I mean, Crocker and Star was the first uh, vineyard in Napa Valley. Thank you, Carlos Mondavi. Uh, to uh, Carlo chose us to like uh, test drive the Monarch electric tractor, and it doesn't drive like a regular tractor. Yeah, it, it's a really great machine, but I don't think I don't think we're going to go back to the Model A anytime soon <laughs> it's getting your head to sort of adjust but on the other hand you do adjust and you adjust quicker i think because it's a it's a life thing it's you need to operate this properly to be safe right when you hire julie you know you've talked a bit about the criteria but um and and we'll be talking to her as i said tomorrow and maybe this is letting a little bit of the cat out of the bag oh, i'm so excited how did that go with you you know when you met her what were your initial reactions did you get the you know, guy sees girl at a bar, says, wow, I could really fall in love with her. <laughs> you know, was this, because uh, I'm, it's, you know, many times people have met somebody the first time, and I'm not saying sexually or romantically. romantically. Go ahead, three times, Ray. Oh, Come on, God. romantically. <laughs> Go for it. Hit me in the back of the head. No, 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 you got this. Romantically, <laughs> people will get excited first time, even in a friendship, and then maybe the second time you cool off. Um, did you go through something like that with meeting somebody like this? Or I've, I've done different? that before in interviews. No. I mean, I've had that big charge like, oh, God, this is the person. No. Right for the job. Get all the re really great first vibes. And that's, I think most of the time, that doesn't end long time. That's not a long term sort of, it's too quick, right? Uh, I mean... Don't get me wrong, I mean, for my fabulous husband, I had all kinds of great dates that way, but <laughs> those were short-term. Sure. And uh, I think with Julie, we had some history. She came to me through another winery uh, to do some guidance discussion, uh, how to insert yourself as a female in a, in a winery situation where you're not invited to the table. And I said, no one's ever invited me to the table. You just put yourself there. Yeah. And uh, she did, and I'm really proud of her. That was four or five years ago. And, um, and then she moved jobs, and it was a lateral job. And I said, hey, you know, we had reconnected just because we were putting on a Premier Napa Valley um, program with multiple wineries. And she said, I, you know, I really want to pick up where we left off. I want to just talk to you about career path. And I said, absolutely. Started chatting. Um, about a couple months into our chats, 
I knew I was going to need to find a new winemaker. And uh, I was really torn. I, I really didn't want to, I, you know, the inner child, I'm like, I don't want to do this, I'm like, you know. And because uh, I thought I'd found that person, but ultimately I didn't, you know, somebody has to be happy and satisfied and grow. And Julie was, we just ended up having really serious conversations about business and the business of wine and uh, what happens, what's the trail, what's the path. And we hiked together, we had wine together, and uh, ultimately uh, I said, listen, I'm going to be looking for a winemaker and I don't know any of the young people today. Would you make some introductions for me? And she said, well, what kind of person are you looking for? And I said, well, if I was really honest, I'd be looking for a person just like you. Hmm. And then I said, but you, if you apply for this job, you have to be really serious. You can't just apply for this job because it seems like the right um, uh, step because you made a lateral move and from assistant winemaker to assistant winemaker, this was a promotional job. This was a winemaker. And uh, it took us six months. How long has she been with you? Uh, since June. Okay. So that's not a lot of time yet. And uh, kind of getting your feet wet into a winery. Anybody coming into a job like that and understanding they have great responsibility may come in and say, hey, Pam, I want to try this differently. What do you think about that? Or is it a sit back and wait? How does that dynamic work out? Julie's approach is really smart. Uh, and it's she has full etiquette. And first you have to understand and you have to show comprehension of the program that you've entered, right? Anybody who's going to show like bull in China shop, I get this right away, red flags. I did, I, I've chosen the wrong person. And, uh, and so her questions were poignant, purposeful, passionate. Her responses, uh, very direct and acute to getting to the goal. And so, and that's how she operates. And uh, her questions are different now than they were because she's gone through harvest, a really difficult harvest because all the grapes came in at once. Mm -hmm. And uh, six days and we had husbands, wives, girlfriends, anybody who would. And uh, Julie really found uh, a way for us to process grapes that was great. And I'm just innate at logistics in the background, you know, teaching interns and helping seller masters and just like, nope, this has got to go this fast. We got this. And I was leader of the pack. I'm like, we, and if they, if I, if the old lady was doing it, they were going to do it 10 times better. And they are, the team was incredible. Uh, so Julie's really, uh, her sent, first thing she did when she came to us was do our 2020 blends. She helped finish them. And she did a great job. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty lofty thing to take on. Super lofty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about the 98, which we are drinking, which is a thrill for me to drink. Thank you very much for opening it up. But uh, what's really fascinating for me is gaining an appreciation for aging. While I've been mm. into wine for a good long time, it takes a long time to gain an appreciation for aging. And uh, with this Cab Franc, uh, dude, nice job. Thank you. It, it, I'm... I'm flabbergasted and, and grateful that the third vintage of Cabernet Franc 
uh, is alive and juicy and delicious and has, though hit its maximum, it has not fallen off. I can taste it. My mouth still has very long flavors. There's a lot of uh, white pepper and flowers and cardamom. There's a little hint of the red raspberry and in this vintage. 98 was, uh, it rained on us and it was a, kind of a Mediterranean rain. We had mm. uh, humidity and it was game on. Everybody, you know, quick, let's pick. And, uh, you know, when rain comes, there can be dilution. But we're really fortunate to be able to produce these beautiful wines. And it's got great color, uh, just a little bit of, of brick on the rim. And you can taste the saltiness in the finish. So some of those are great attributes of bottle bouquet. It's beautiful to taste. It was beautiful just to get the nose. When you stick your nose in there and it just opens up your mind. I, I don't know. I'm, I have no good descriptors for such a thing. But again, it gives me that appreciation for aging a wine and what the difference can make. Did you, you, you know, we everybody knows that uh, California had this gigantic heat spike which was in some areas up to 117. Oh, 2022, yes. Did you have any loss from that at all? Or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. right. I mean, I mean, grapes like people, when it gets to a certain temperature and we sort of just don't recover. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably lost a good, I don't know, Mother Nature stole some in the, in the spring during flowering, it turned cold. We had a little, almost a snow flurry so that was a hit and it caused some of the grapes to set in an uneven fashion. And then we're staged really nicely to uh, capture a really delicious harvest and the heat wave just, it turned itself up and uh, we were right on the cusp. And so we made it through the heat wave and we just started picking everything. And Julie, wise little Julie, found herself, uh, we've never used an optical sorter before. Mm. And she somehow, some way, scored an optical sorter and really was able to sort out uh, shriveled grapes. Uh, we already have really good sorting machines, and Signaline is really, we don't need an optical sorter for the kind of grapes that we grow because we're not up in the mountains with elevation changes like every 50 feet. And uh, so th- I learned a lot from this machine and from how Julie tuned it and. Uh, we saved all the grapes that we sorted out and made a, a funky fermentation and learned a lot from that fermentation. Uh, but we made better wine because uh, she inserted an optical. Technology saved the day. I know. Very few technological pieces of equipment in our business, but that's kind of a fun, fancy one. It is. And I remember when they first came out. Uh... Oh, my God. They're expensive. I mean, we were able to rent it. So I'm really, really appreciative. And she, she brought me the contract and uh, she, Julie, uh, said, well, we can rent it. Here's the price of renting. I did quick math, how many tons we were in a process, how much more it was going to cost us, and, you know, impact our cost of goods. And I taught her that really quickly. And just because you have to do some of these things just right here. Yeah. You yeah. can't just get on a spreadsheet and make it happen and, because we had to make a snap decision because somebody else would have scooped it up. Yeah. So, so we, we pulled the trigger and she put it in place and... So it's cool that you used it and I, I've seen them in action and they blow me away. They blow me away. Yeah. It's, it's fast and it's accurate. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that also brings me to the idea of uh, mechanical harvesting. Is that something that you've investigated that you'll need to do down the road because of labor issues? There are labor issues. Uh, we are shorthanded. I think the entire business was shorthanded. I think the entire business world is shorthanded. Uh, and we can see that in all of our service oriented businesses. The wine business is definitely looking at how we can do more mechanical harvesting. The vineyard's not set up well. We would have to go in and make some canopy adjustments. It wouldn't be easy. We could do it. We would probably end up breaking a lot more of the vines than vines that were vertically shoot positioned. Uh, We have the V for victory canopy for shading purposes, sun cover, temperature control. Uh, so we could do it, but it's in the, it's probably in our future sooner than we think. Yeah, I would believe that. Um, for many interviews and certainly interviews on this trip, I asked the question, what is the one question that you'd like to be asked that you haven't been asked? And we've done that with you a couple of times. So I'm going to go just take a slightly different tack and take you off the hook on that one. Thank you. Oh, that's such not my favorite thing to do, Ray. (laughs) I just love to torture people. We want the Valley, Napa Valley, and the wine industry in America to move forward. What do you see for the future? What do you want for the future as an owner winemaker? For the entire wine business or just for Crocker and Star? Well, let's say, <laughs> let's say Crocker and Star because it's easier. Well, what I want for Crocker and Star is I want us to achieve uh, uh, a regenerative state. I want us to achieve in the next five years where we are actively regenerating our vineyards, our wines, our packaging. Uh, I don't want us to be sustainable until we've reduced our carbon footprint. I would like Crocker and Star to continue to be a little bit more of a, a voice. We have a small voice in regenerative or what people are calling sustainable today, but it, it's a mistake to sustain what we have. Mm, so, right. So we need to actually reduce our carbon footprint. Then there are other wineries that are actively uh, at the helm. And I, we've been doing um, regenerative farming in some ways. Like we don't drive our tractors between December and March. We have 800 sheep on the property for the last several years that are mowing our crops for us and keeping our soils um, soft and pliable. So there are things that the Crocker store doesn't have a voice about, but I'd really like to see uh, us take a, a higher position as a leader of a thoughtful uh, wine producing winery and grape growing winery. And I'd re- really like to see in the, in the wine business as a whole, those wineries that have a lot of money, they've got um, you know budgets for research and development. We don't have a big budget for Crocker and Star's 4,500 cases. I've been trying to get us to grow. Um, Mother Nature is, uh, we're at combat with with that growth plan, but there are wineries uh, internationally. I'd like to see us all band together as as an industry and try to become better leaders for water, power, uh, regenerative farming, regenerative for the planet. And as agriculture hits us hard, um, I'd like to see our industry become banded together, um, tighter knit with research and development. Um, and uh, we've lost that. Uh, we had that very, we were very well knit internationally as a research and development industry in the 80s and part of the 90s. And 
in some ways that research and development was dropped because we, the wine industry started making money. Mm. And thank God we're making money. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel very responsible for all of the people who work for us. So I'm, I'm grateful that people buy our wine because they're, the people who love Crocker and Star wines are employing the Crocker and Star people. And, and I, think, uh, I think that kind of mentality should bleed out into other industries. Most importantly for our listeners who would like to learn more about Pamstar and Crocker and Star, what is your website? Crockerstar.com, C-R-O-C-K-E-R-S-T-A-R-R.com. Great. Thank you. Ray, you're a peach. You're amazing. I mean, yeah, you have white hair. That's okay. But, you know, if you look <laughs> at a peach closely, there's little white fuzzy hair all over the peach. And everybody loves a beautiful peach. So thank you for being the most beautiful peach and taking our voices out to those who don't know who we are and uh, giving us a voice to people who want to be a little bit closer to grape growing, agriculture, winemaking, and the magic that happens in the business. You are very kind. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Learn more by visiting crockerstar.com. Thanks for listening to the longest-running wine podcast online. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Pascoff. Our web geek is Dan Gieschen. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.